Chapter Eight of More New Arabian Nights: The Dynamiter by Robert Louis Stevenson and Fanny Vondergrift Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Eight: Zero's Tale of the Explosive Bomb. Footnote the arabian author with that quaint particularity of touch which our translation usually pretermits here registers a somewhat interesting detail zero pronounce the word boom and the reader if but for the nonce will possibly consent to follow him End of footnote. i dined by appointment with one of our most trusted agents in a private chamber at st james hall you have seen the man it was maguire the most chivalrous of creatures but not himself expert in our contrivances hence the necessity of our meeting for i need not remind you what enormous issues depend upon the nice adjustment of the engine i set our little petard for half an hour the scene of action being hard by and the better to avert miscarriage employed a device a recent invention of my own by which the opening of the gladstone bag in which the bomb was carried should instantly determine the explosion maguire was somewhat dashed by this arrangement which was new to him and pointed out with excellent clear good sense that should he be arrested it would probably involve him in the fall of our opponents but i was not to be moved made a strong appeal to his patriotism gave him a good glass of whisky and dispatched him on his glorious errand our objective was the effigy of shakespeare in leicester square a spot i think admirably chosen not only for the sake of the dramatist still very foolishly claimed as a glory by the english race in spite of his disgusting political opinions but from the fact that the seats in the immediate neighbourhood are often thronged by children errand-boys unfortunate young ladies of the poorer class and infirm old men all classes making a direct appeal to public pity and therefore suitable with our designs as maguire drew near his heart was inflamed by the most noble sentiment of triumph never had he seen the garden so crowded children still stumbling in the impotence of youth ran to and fro shouting and playing round the pedestal an old sick pensioner sat upon the nearest bench a medal on his breast a stick with which he walked for he was disabled by wounds reclining on his knee guilty england would thus be stabbed in the most delicate quarters the moment had indeed been well selected and maguire with a radiant provision of the event drew merrily nearer suddenly his eye alighted on the burly form of a policeman standing hard by the effigy in an attitude of watch my bold companion paused he looked about him closely here and there at different points of the enclosure other men stood or loitered affecting an abstraction feigning to gaze upon the shrubs feigning to talk feigning to be weary and to rest upon the benches maguire was no child in these affairs he instantly divined one of the plots of the machiavellian gladstone a chief difficulty with which we have to deal is a certain nervousness in the subaltern branches of the corps as the hour of some design draws near these chicken-souled conspirators appear to suffer some revulsion of intent and frequently dispatch to the authorities not indeed specific denunciations but vague anonymous warnings but for this purely accidental circumstance 
england had long ago been an historical expression on the receipt of such a letter the government lay a trap for their adversaries and surrounded the threatened spot with hirelings my blood sometimes boils in my veins when i consider the case of those who sell themselves for money in such a cause true thanks to the generosity of our supporters we patriots receive a very comfortable stipend i myself of course touch a salary which puts me quite beyond the reach of any peddling mercenary thoughts mcguire again ere he joined our ranks was on the brink of starving and now thank god receives a decent income that is as it should be the patriot must not be diverted from his task by any base consideration and the distinction between our position and that of the police is too obvious to be stated plainly however our leicester square design had been divulged the government had craftily filled the place with minions even the pensioner was not improbably a hireling in disguise and our emissary without other aid or protection than the simple apparatus in his bag found himself confronted by force brutal force that strong hand which was a character of the ages of oppression should he venture to deposit the machine it was almost certain that he would be observed and arrested a cry would arise and there was just a fear that the police might not be present in sufficient force to protect him from the savagery of the mob the scheme must be delayed he stood with his bag on his arm pretending to survey the front of the alhambra when there flashed into his mind a thought to appall the bravest the machine was set at the appointed hour it must explode and how in the interval was he to be rid of it put yourself i beseech you into the body of that patriot there he was friendless and helpless a man in the very flower of life for he is not yet forty with long years of happiness before him and now condemned in one moment to a cruel and revolting death by dynamite the square he said went round him like a thaumatrope he saw the alhambra leap into the air like a balloon and reeled against the railing it is probable he fainted when he came to himself a constable had him by the arm my god he cried you seem to be unwell sir said the hireling i feel better now cried poor mcguire and with uneven steps for the pavement of the square seemed to lurch and reel under his footing he fled from the scene of this disaster fled alas from what was he fleeing did he not carry that from which he fled along with him and had he the wings of the eagle had he the swiftness of the ocean winds could he have been wrapped into the uttermost quarters of the earth how should he escape the ruin that he carried we have heard of living men who have been fettered to the dead the grievance soberly considered is no more than sentimental the case is but a flea-bite to that of him who should be linked like poor mcguire to an explosive bomb a thought struck him in green street like a dart through his liver suppose it were the hour already he stopped as though he had been shot and plucked his watch out there was a howling in his ears as loud as a winter tempest his sight was now obscured as if by a cloud now as by a lightning flash would show him the very dust upon the street but so brief were these intervals of vision and so violently did the watch vibrate in his hands that it was impossible to distinguish the numbers on the dial he covered his eyes for a few seconds and in that space it seemed to him that he had fallen to be a man of ninety when he looked again the watch-plate had grown legible he had twenty minutes twenty minutes and no plan 
green street at that time was very empty and he now observed a little girl of about six drawing near to him and as she came kicking in front of her as children will a piece of wood she sang too and something in her accent recalled him to the past produced a sudden clearness in his mind here was a god-sent opportunity my dear said he would you like a present of a pretty bag the child cried aloud with joy and put out her hands to take it she had looked first at the bag like a true child but most unfortunately before she had yet received the fatal gift her eyes fell directly on Maguire, and no sooner had she seen the poor gentleman's face than she screamed out and leaped backwards as though she had seen the devil almost at the same moment a woman appeared upon the threshold of a neighbouring shop and called upon the child in anger come here colleen she said and don't be plaguing the poor old gentleman with that she re-entered the house and the child followed her sobbing aloud with the loss of this hope Maguire's reason swooned within him when next he awoke to consciousness he was standing before st martin's in the fields wavering with a drunken man the passers-by regarding him with eyes in which he read as in a glass an image of the terror and horror that dwelt within his own i am afraid you are very ill sir observed a woman stopping and gazing hard in his face can i do anything to help you ill said Maguire. oh god and then recovering some shadow of his self-command chronic madam said he a long course of the dumb ague but since you are so compassionate an errand that i lack strength to carry out he gasped this bag to portman square oh compassionate woman as you hope to be saved as you are a mother in the name of your babes that wait to welcome you at home oh take this bag to portman square i have a mother too he added with a broken voice number nineteen portman square i suppose he had expressed himself with too much energy of voice for the woman was plainly taken with a certain fear of him poor gentleman said she if i were you i would go home and she left him standing there in his distress home thought Maguire. what a derision what home was there for him the victim of philanthropy he thought of his old mother of his happy youth of the hideous rending pang of the explosion of the possibility that he might not be killed that he might be cruelly mangled crippled for life condemned to lifelong pains blinded perhaps and almost surely deafened ah you spoke lightly of the dynamiter's peril but even waving death had you realized what it is for a fine brave young man of forty to be smitten suddenly with deafness cut off from all the music of life and from the voice of friendship and love how little do we realize the sufferings of others even your brutal government in the heyday of its lust for cruelty though it scruples not to hound the patriot with spies to pack the corrupt jury to bribe the hangman and to erect the infamous gallows would hesitate to inflict so horrible a doom not i am well aware from virtue not from philanthropy but with the fear before it of the withering scorn of the good but i wander from Maguire. from this dread glance into the past and future his thoughts returned at a bound upon the present how had he wandered here and how long oh heavens how long had he been about it he pulled out his watch and found that but three minutes had elapsed it seemed too bright a thing to be believed he glanced at the church clock and sure enough it marked an hour four minutes faster than the watch of all that he endured Maguire declares that pang was the most desolate 
till then he had one friend one counsellor in whom he plenarily trusted by whose advertisement he numbered the minutes that remained to him of life on whose sure testimony he could tell when the time was come to risk the last adventure to cast the bag away from him and take to flight and now in what was he to place reliance his watch was slow it might be losing time if so in what degree what limit could he set to its derangement and how much was it possible for a watch to lose in thirty minutes five ten fifteen it might be so already it seemed years since he had left st james hall on this so promising enterprise at any moment then the blow was to be looked for in the face of this new distress the wild disorder of his pulses settled down and a broken weariness succeeded as though he had lived for centuries and for centuries been dead the buildings and the people in the street became incredibly small and far away and bright london sounded in his ears stilly like a whisper and the rattle of the cab that nearly charged him down was like a sound from africa meanwhile he was conscious of a strange abstraction from himself and heard and felt his footfalls on the ground as those of a very old small debile and tragically fortuned man whom he sincerely pitied as he was thus moving forward past the national gallery in a medium it seemed of greater rarity and quiet than ordinary air there slipped into his mind the recollection of a certain entry in whitcomb street hard by where he might perhaps lay down his tragic cargo unremarked thither then he bent his steps seeming as he went to float above the pavement and there in the mouth of the entry he found a man in a sleeved waistcoat gravely chewing a straw he passed him by and twice patrolled the entry scouting for the barest chance but the man had faced about and continued to observe him curiously another hope was gone mcguire reissued from the entry still followed by the wondering eyes of the man in the sleeved waistcoat he once more consulted his watch there were but fourteen minutes left to him at that it seemed as if a sudden genial heat were spread about his brain for a second or two he saw the world as red as blood and thereafter entered into a complete possession of himself with an incredible cheerfulness of spirits prompting him to sing and chuckle as he walked and yet this mirth seemed to belong to things external and within like a black and leaden heavy kernel he was conscious of the weight upon his soul i care for nobody no not i and nobody cares for me he sang and laughed at the appropriate burthen so that the passengers stared upon him in the street and still the warmth seemed to increase and to become more genial what was life he considered and what he mcguire what even Aaron, our green Aaron, all seemed so incalculably little that he smiled as he looked down upon it. He would have given years had he possessed them for a glass of spirits, but time failed and he must deny himself this last indulgence. At the corner of the haymarket he very jauntily hailed a hansom cab, jumped in, bade the fellow drive him to a part of the embankment which he named, and as soon as the vehicle was in motion concealed the bag as completely as he could under the vantage of the apron and once more drew out his watch so he rode for five interminable minutes his heart in his mouth at every jolt scarce able to possess his terrors yet fearing to wake the attention of the driver by too obvious a change of plan and willing if possible to leave him time to forget the gladstone bag at length at the head of some stairs on the embankment he hailed 
the cab was stopped and he alighted with how glad a heart he thrust his hand into his pocket all was now over he had saved his life nor that alone but he had engineered a striking act of dynamite for what could be more pictorial what more effective than the explosion of a handsome cab as it sped rapidly along the streets of london he felt in one pocket then in another the most crushing seizure of despair descended on his soul and struck into abject dumbness he stared upon the driver he had not one penny lost my money said maguire in tones so faint and strange that they surprised his hearing the man looked through the trap i dessay said he you've left your bag maguire half unconsciously fetched it out and looking on that black continent at arm's length withered inwardly and felt his features sharpen as with mortal sickness this is not mine said he your last fare must have left it you had better take it to the station now look here returned the cabman are you off your chump or am i well then i'll tell you what exclaimed maguire you take it for your fare oh i dessay replied the driver anything else what's in your bag open it and let me see no no returned maguire oh no not that it's a surprise it's prepared expressly a surprise for honest cabmen no you don't said the man alighting from his perch and coming very close to the unhappy patriot you're either going to pay my fare or get in again and drive to the office it was at this supreme hour of his distress that maguire spied the stout figure of one godal a tobacconist of rupert street drawing near along the embankment the man was not unknown to him he had bought of his wares and heard him quoted for the soul of liberality and such was now the nearness of his peril that even at such a straw of hope he clutched with gratitude thank god he cried here comes a friend of mine i'll borrow and he dashed to meet the tradesman sir said he mr godall i have dealt with you you doubtless know my face calamities for which i cannot blame myself have overwhelmed me oh sir for the love of innocence for the sake of the bonds of humanity and as you hope for mercy at the throne of grace lend me two and six i do not recognize your face replied mr godall but i remember the cut of your beard which i have the misfortune to dislike here sir is a sovereign which i very willingly advance to you on the single condition that you shave your chin mcguire grasped the coin without a word cast it to the cabman calling out to him to keep the change bounded down the steps flung the bag far forth into the river and fell headlong after it he was plucked from a watery grave it is believed by the hands of mr godall even as he was being hoisted dripping to the shore a dull and choked explosion shook the solid masonry of the embankment and far out in the river a momentary fountain arose and disappeared End of chapter 8. Read by Don W. Jenkins. Rancho San Diego, California. Shaggybark.blogspot.com.